judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. How is everyone? Oh, yeah. I mean, I say like it doesn't come out every Wednesday, but it's weird because like we don't record on Wednesday, obviously, obviously. So you're like, what are you talking about? Y'all know how podcasts work, but (laughs) it's just like Wednesday. Wait. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think that there are some podcasts that record and release the same day? Like, is that even possible? I don't think so. I think it might be like the next day. Some people might be good enough to do that, but... If you've got like a podcast network behind you. Yeah. And also some people, depending on their style of podcasting, might have a lot Mm -hmm. less editing to do. True. True. You know, I don't know. I mean, if any podcast network wants to uh, work with us, I'd be down for that. Then we get like an editor person, right? That's how that works. Yeah. I don't don't know all the logistics of it. I mean, I imagine we'd have to pay for that. (laughs) I don't know. So the only podcast network I'm like. No, there's a couple, but I mean, the biggest one that I know is the, uh, my favorite murder ladies. They have one called, and why can't I remember it? Exactly right. I listen to like four of theirs. Well, mm-hmm. two, yeah. So I listen to like a bunch of theirs. <sighs> They've got good production value. Like they got like producers and stuff. Not like we don't have good production value. Like you're our producer, technically, <laughs> I guess, right? Yeah. Am I? I don't know. You're the producer. I'm the writer, researcher. Sean's our sound guy. Yeah. You yep. got a, a little a little crew. We do have a little crew, yeah. A little crew. It's funny too because um, I went out with some friends last night and had some drinks, and one of our friends loves the podcast, listens all the time, and was Aww. trying to promote it to other people. And one nice. of his things was, "It's got a really great uh, <laughs> composer for the song." <laughs> nice. You should give him business cards so he could spread them around more than you or I do. Yeah, I did. I did bust it out last night, though. I did give one out last night, so. Very nice. <laughs> I gave out one. Um, not to AOC, that, but it's all right. Not to AOC, no. <laughs> and even when I gave out one, I was like, hold on, I'll give it to you later because I don't have my wallet because I never have my wallet. Like, they're in my wallet. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I gave out one. I was out to dinner for a friend's birthday. And I was like, oh, I have to record tomorrow. And someone was like, oh, hey, what are you recording? And I was like, I have a podcast. And they're like, oh, I'm always looking for something to listen to. And I was like, yes. I got you. And when I gave him the business card, he's like, everybody subscribe. And I was like, I love you. Yes. So that I was love cool. it. I hope, you, I, I hope he likes it. I hope you're enjoying yourself here. Yeah, welcome. We're glad to have you. We love new listeners. And yes. the old ones. And we love old episode topics. This is a terrible segue. No, I loved it. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if you've seen, I posted it on the Instagram, but last week was the 25th anniversary of the Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton, like calamity scandal, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, what it should be called, the Clinton scandal. So Monica Lewinsky wrote this uh, piece for Vanity Fair. I think she might have like a deal with Vanity Fair because she writes with them a lot. Yeah, I think she's a guest writer for them. Yeah, she's I, she's a great writer. She's very thoughtful. So this was 25 randoms and they were completely random. So they go from thoughts about um, the first one that I liked was you can make the right decision and still have regret. Also, don't judge your insides by other people's outsides. I like that a lot because I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to like live up to what other people 
look like and appear like Mm -hmm. and not even what's on their insides. Yes, i.e. our diet culture episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Flip back to that. Um, And another random she had that I think is incredibly random is Paul Rudd still looks the same. How can that be? (laughs) Because he's Paul Rudd. (laughs) He's like a specter. So I'm like, it's crazy that he does still look the same or he doesn't look like he's aged very much in 25 years. So it's a really quick read. It's literally 25 randoms and they go from like kind of frivolous to like very thought provoking. So... You could get that on their website, it's just Vanity Fair. Or if you follow her on Instagram, which you should because she's pretty great, she's um, shared it, and I'm pretty sure she shared it on Twitter too. Yeah, you got some trolls from that though, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, people don't comment that much on the Instagram, but like when they do, I'm really excited. So, when I saw like this block of text, I was like, yay, engagement. But the person was like, she's a terrible person and she doesn't deserve like respect or some kind of nonsense. But then I looked and they had like zero posts and they were following like a hundred people and they had like three followers. And I was like, oh, I think this is a bot. So I'm not going to like lose my mind over it. But I was just like ready to throw down and defend because I have before (laughs) in the comment sections of back when Monica Lewinsky was like, hey, Beyonce. Since you're changing lyrics, you want to change that one in partition. I honestly think like the lyrics in partition are pretty gross. We've talked about it before, but if you don't remember, it's um, it's a line in partition where Beyonce says um, he's gonna Monica Lewinsky all over my dress, and I'm just like, ew, that's gross. Also, wouldn't it be Bill Clinton? And Monica made that joke too. So like they revisited this because Beyonce changed a lyric in a song. I think um, I don't remember what lyric she changed, but she changed a lyric in a song. So Monica like shot her shot and everyone lost their damn minds calling Monica out of her name and just being really disrespectful. So I was in the comments of the shade room. And if you know the shade room, like it's really shady, edgy in there. It's shady. (laughs) Yes. And like there's like some some really emotional people in there. So I'm like trying to change minds back and forth. And I did it under the big reputations. uh, I fully support that. (laughs) So I was just like, hey, you should listen to this. And I changed one person's mind. And one other person was like, I could see the cut. It says a lot about the person you are if you're trying to defend someone like that. And I was like, it does. Someone who's open-minded and believes that everybody deserves a second chance. And the guy was like, you might be right. And I was like, exactly. (laughs) I got you. I hope he's listening right now. But yeah, like people are still very anti-Monica and I don't think that that's And that's why this podcast is so important. Like I just... Yeah. You know, people always say to me like, oh, you've got all these podcast projects. You got too much on your plate or something. And I'm like, you do. But I but I can't. I I feel very passionately about each of them. And this one in particular, it's just Mm -hmm. like, no, this is important stuff that we're putting out there. I I mean, it's fun for us, too. But it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It can be fun and educational. That's you know what? That's an excellent motto. And I definitely I definitely feel that way. There's been so many people that we cover and I'm just like, all right, let me just start the notes. And then I'm like learning stuff. And I was like, man, I feel so smart. This is so good. <laughs> Education can be fun. It can. And it can actually like come through pop culture stuff, right? Podcasts, mm-hmm. but also like TV shows and movies. Like those things can, even if they don't educate us about history all the time, mm-hmm. they can educate us about humanity. And how we act and treat one another? Yes. I get what you mean. And also, I'm kind of obsessed with TV at the moment. So that makes sense. <laughs> After you were like, I don't know if I watch TV, you're like, no, I am going to watch all the TV now. So I... no one can challenge me. <laughs> so all I do now is watch like true crime 
that's now dramatized. So, like, I did Friend of the Family. Yeah. Which, did you watch Abducted in Plain Sight? I did. I did. Okay. Thoughts, feelings? <laughs> um, I understood what happened to them the first time. Mm-hmm. And even the second time, I recognized that, like, they didn't, they weren't okay with it. They were trying to stop it that second time. But it was also, like, there was, there was this one thing. It's just, like, look, yeah, you dumb fucked up with your sexual relations with this man. Just be honest about that, right? Like, if you, like, the reason they were, like, dropping the case against him was because they were afraid it would come out that they had each, like, each of the parents had slept with. And, and it's like, dude, this is for your kid. Like, suck it up yes. and, 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 and admit to it. So let's back it up a little bit. If you haven't seen Abducted in Plain Sight or Friend of the Family, you should watch it. But this is a super old case. So, like, spoiler alerts, like, are gone. So it's about, like, a friend of the family who decides that he's in love with, like, their, at the time, 12-year-old daughter and, like, kidnaps her. First time, not cool. Like, they were just like, mm, he took her for, like, 30 days or something, right? He took her yeah. for like, a really long well, period of time. Mm-hmm. And then brought her back. And then the mother and father of this daughter end up both having a sexual relationship with the kidnapper, which is where I'm like, mm, no. Like, I personally would have figured out a way of moving myself away from this family after he returned my daughter 30 days later. Like, we, there yeah. wouldn't have been no any running into him in town. It wouldn't have been a very long documentary for me because it would have been like, <laughs> cool, now that guy is in jail. I don't remember why he didn't go to jail. Because they dropped the charges. Yes. Because the mom was like, oh, we gave permission. And it's like, well, like, that's not the truth. And like, I, everybody was just hiding so much. Yeah. The woman says, like, she's still alive. She talks about it. I, she talks about, like, her trauma. She doesn't deem herself as being, like, a messed up person. But, like, in my head, I'm like, there's no way you're not completely messed up from this situation. But I just feel like her parents should have done more for her. And it should have been like, hey, cool, the whole family's moving we're all moving. I don't. But the we'll thing figure is, out. she did run away. And when I look at like a fourteen-year-old girl mm-hmm. running away, the second and, time she ran away, right? The second time, yes. the second time she ran away. And when I look at that happen, like I can see, I could see it happening. I guess I'll just leave it at that. Like I could see it happening. Her running off, and they're like not wanting to like cause a scandal, mm-hmm. and like sort of downplaying it or the fear that like something might happen I, i'm not saying it's justified in any way it's really also, messed up but like i i don't know i just feel like i guess like the times were different but yeah. like there wouldn't have been a second opportunity like there was too much contact and there would have been zero contact if that were my kid we would yeah. have left the vicinity i would have threatened this dude my husband would have threatened this dude like they're i just it's just so weird to me like this thing could happen to your kid and then you're like, you know what? I kind of have feelings for this guy. When you so, think about how sheltered they were as a as a family, as a community, based on where they yeah. live, the context. And knowing, like, kidnapping wasn't stuff people, like, did. True. Or if they did it, they didn't talk about, like, it wasn't out in the world as mm-hmm. the way it is now. So, anyway. Yeah. I did watch that and I did watch um, the first episode of The Last of Us. I am not familiar with the video game, so I'm going oh into God. it like a virgin, and I I enjoyed it. I really I... like the first episode. 
I'm so excited about it. Um, I'm very familiar with the video game. So I was squealing like a child at certain scenes that were pulled directly from the game. Like, this is not a spoiler, but like, they're in the pickup truck and there's like a building on fire. That exact like kind of circle tracking shot is from the game. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm so excited. Like, I'm very, very excited. I'm wondering how they're going to pace it. Yeah. So far, like, I mean, that first episode was like a big one. It was like 120 minutes or something. Yeah, it was a double episode. I, so mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast like HBO puts out an official podcast on the show and they were talking about how so they had um, they had originally cut it before the present day scenes. Okay. And then they were told like, you're not really giving anybody a reason to to like come back. Like you just dealt with like this past situation. There's no mm-hmm. tension of like what happens next. Like you kind of mm-hmm. need, you need to bring it into the present day. So that was part of that like double episode thing. I thought it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I was mostly excited because I had just finished reading Entangled Life, which was all about like um, the mycelial network and the cordyceps and all of that stuff, which is the fungal infection that takes over the world in this series and i had read about like the zombie ants like there is a literally a mushroom that yeah no there is and and i had just learned about that and then i turned to this show and i'm like wait now they're using it this is so cool and like obviously they made it long before this book came out or i discovered Mm -hmm. but like all that science has always been there and i was just excited that i understood it (laughs) I, I feel like when you have like a, a kind of behind the scenes of the source material, you feel closer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time being like, wait, who's that guy again? Why don't I remember? And then I was like, they're going to tell me this is a TV show. Like, I don't have to like rack my brain to try and remember. Because like when I played this game came out in like 2013 and I played it like back then and then kind of came and went from it. And now I'm like replaying it. And I'm like trying to remember like the themes in the beginning because it's a big game. And I'm just like, well, I don't remember who this person was. And then it's like, oh, well, they're not here anymore, so it doesn't matter. But it's like, you just just watch it. Like, just like, watch <laughs> it and enjoy it. And I'm trying to let myself remember that, except for being like, oh, I wonder who they're going to get to play this person. And, oh, I wonder how they're going to show this part. But his daughter is Fanny Newton's daughter. Do you know Fanny Newton? Uh, I looked her up, yeah, when... She has the exact... Like, genetics are so weird. She has the exact... Like, she has her mom's face completely i was like that girl looks like fanny newton and then i looked it up and i was like oh my god that's fanny newton's daughter like who i first of all i didn't even know she was an actress but also like she's really young so maybe this is her first thing but like she looks exactly like her and it's creepy <laughs> well Genetics it's like when you wild. when you see like jack quaid um from the boys and he, i'm like no his parents are clearly <laughs> like dennis quaid yeah. and meg ryan like there's no he couldn't have any other parents he looks just like both of them <laughs> There's another, and I know Nepo Baby is, like, not a, a term that people like, but I think it's funny. Um, there's another Nepo Baby in that show, The Staircase. I was like, this dude looks familiar, and I couldn't, like, figure it out. And then I was watching the credits, and it was, like, something Schwarzenegger. And I was like, yeah, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger's kid. Like, he's not as big, but he has, like, the exact same face. And mm-hmm. he has, like, his mom's eyes. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, he's he's a good actor. Fair. I've never seen him in anything else. I didn't know that he had any kids that were acting on Schwarzenegger. But since we're just talking about TV, The Staircase is another true crime turned documentary, turned podcast, turned dramatic uh, fiction. It's on HBO Max and it's Colin Firth and Tony Collette. And I think it's it's popular now. I think there's like some awards 
happening. I think that they were nominated this year for like Golden Globes. I don't know if they won, but that's like where I heard about it. So the whole thing is like this man's wife ends up dead at the bottom of the staircase. Did he do it? Did he not do it? It's crazy. Like there's so many possibilities of like how this woman died. And like, you'll never know. I mean, you can, you know, assume the husband did it because like that's normally, that's normally the case, sadly. But like, I hate that because like, it's not always the case, but like 90% of the time it's the case. So it's like, you don't just want to jump to that. Like law enforcement just jumps to that. But like, mm-hmm. it's very, very interesting. I'm super interested in um how our justice system can like fuck up and be like bought. So this is a very interesting show. If you're interested in watching it, it's like eight episodes. They're like beefy episodes, though. But yeah. the acting is fantastic. We actually sat down and watched a movie the other night. We had a date night. We went out to dinner. We had a gift certificate to go out to dinner. Um, and then we came back home and we watched a movie and um, it was The Menu. You've seen that. that. fantastic. I've yeah. seen it like twice now. I'm kind of obsessed with it. I honestly, no, not to, no spoilers or anything, but the, no, the no. way it ended, mm-hmm. I turned to Sean and I was like, this is your favorite kind of movie ending. Like everything <laughs> happens and and it just like i knew it was so satisfying to him the way that that whole thing wrapped up like it Mm -hmm. was it was really well done it's fantastic the acting is really great in it there's i used to work at this talent agency and there's an actress in it christina bricado and she's been like post she was posting about it and i was like i was really excited to see this movie but now i'm like super more excited to see this movie so like who was she she's in it she was the sous chef that makes like the soup she sits at the table with all the women white lady black hair oh okay yeah she sits down at the table with the women right when the men are out yeah yeah no spoilers um (laughs) no spoilers (laughs) trying to get some some good watching in but um obviously had to make some time for our research right Mm -hmm. so what are we doing so today we're going to be discussing the phenomenal singer songwriter actress activist that is dolly parton we'll consider some of the ways in which the media and audiences have perceived her over the years especially as it relates to her socioeconomic background and her physical appearance then we'll look deeper into the things that she has done the reasons she's done them and what she's done for the world in the name of kindness and the greater good finally we'll look at the ways in which she educates herself and those around her by taking accountability and making changes whenever she learns from mistakes Dolly Rebecca Parton, with the most amazing middle name ever. (laughs) (laughs) I had to. Um, Anyway, she was born January 19th, 1946. So happy birthday, Dolly. Yes, happy belated. In Locust Ridge, Tennessee. She was the fourth born out of 12. 12. That beats me. (laughs) And, And they all shared the same parents. So her family grew up pretty poor. I feel like having 12 kids might have something to do with that yeah probably didn't help things (laughs) (laughs) probably didn't help things right uh dolly her siblings and her parents avi lee caroline and robert lee parton senior lived in a one-room cabin her father robert was a sharecropper and her mother a homemaker since she basically spent 20 years being pregnant there weren't a lot of job opportunities i so 
during the research, uh, I, I found something that I think it's like funny slash interesting. Uh, her mom's last pregnancy was twins. So it was like just when she thought she was out, she gets hit with a double. And <laughs> then she turned 35 because she was really young when she started having I was kids. like, wait, you just said she spent 20 years being pregnant and now she's only 35? Jesus. Now she's only 35. Like that's... Well, that's another pro- reason that probably fed into the poverty. <laughs> yeah. And it's like now you have so much of your life left because like 35 is not old but like you have all these kids wow well her mother kept the family busy um by having the kids sing songs you know family songs that were passed down church ballads things like that Uh, dolly actually had her first performance at a church event when she was only six years old so the church led to local radio and tv the crowds loved her she had a little homemade guitar and these bright eyes her uncle introduced her to the producers of the Cass walker show it was a local variety show where she became a regular she upgraded to a real guitar after this um and by the time she was 13 she was recording with a small label in tennessee she even performed at the grand Ole opry where she was brought to the stage by johnny cash Side note about this place. So it's described as country's most famous stage. The Grand Old Opry is the world's longest running radio show in country music or otherwise. The Opry's radio station began on November 28th, 1925, and it has been running weekly ever since then. That's impressive. Eh? So coming up on 100 years. Right? Dolly graduated and moved to Nashville the very next day. She was pretty motivated as her time in primary school and high school weren't great. Like we said, she was very poor and uh, you know how like caring and loving and kind children can be. I roll. Yeah. Well, they bullied her about her small house and her hand-me-down clothes and all of that. So she was more than happy to, to get out of that situation. Yeah. Like kids are weird. So like Dolly was on TV a lot and she was talented. So they considered her braggy, but she wasn't. She was just a hard worker. Of course. If if a woman is successful and like acknowledges that, then she's just bragging. Of course. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, in an interview, Parton recalled a time before graduation where the students in her class shared their plans for after graduation. Some said they were going to get married. Others said they were going to take, a, you know, a job in Knoxville. And when it was her turn, Parton stood up and said, I'm going to Nashville and I'm going to be a star. And she continues, well, the whole place laughed out loud. I was so embarrassed. Why is everyone laughing? I thought this is exactly what I want to do. I felt like they were being really cruel and she's not wrong. I mean, haters going to hate, right? Like a very similar thing happened to Lady Gaga uh, when she was at NYU. Some of her classmates allegedly started a Facebook group titled Stephanie Germanata, You Will Never Be Famous. It's just like why unnecessarily just why? cruel. Yeah. yeah, right. It's so weird because haters gonna hate, and they were wrong because she's super fucking famous. Yeah, both of them, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Parton didn't let this bullying stop her. You know, she did, as we mentioned. In fact, moved to Nashville in 1964. She got a gig working for Combine Publishing as a songwriter, and her songs were super popular and topped the charts. But for other artists like Hank Williams Jr. and Kitty Wells. Parton was finally signed as a singer in 1965. She was 19 and the record company took one look at her and decided to market her as a pop star. She thought that her voice wasn't suited for pop and she tried to tell the record company this, but you know, they ignored her. She released a bunch of singles that just flopped. So I'm I'm just going to go out on a limb here. These uh, record companies, the executives and all of that. Men? Men. Forever and always. Yes. (laughs) 
Well, even though her career wasn't taking off, her love life was. On May 30th, 1966, Parton and Carl Thomas Dean were married in Georgia. The record company asked her to wait, assuming that once she was married, her career would come to an end. I love that she didn't listen. I love that. So the two first met at a laundromat in Nashville when Parton first arrived at the age of 18. She told People Magazine, I was surprised and delighted that when he talked to me, he looked at my face. A rare thing for me. He seemed to be genuinely interested in finding out who I was and what I was about. Well, the two were newlyweds when the record company gave Dolly another shot at recording an album. Given her strength as a songwriter, it would have been hard to lose her. This time, they let her choose the genre. She chose country. And that second chance was about to pay off. Parton released her first album called Hello, I'm Dolly. It featured a song called Dumb Blonde. Some of the lines were, just because I'm blonde, don't think I'm dumb. Because this dumb blonde ain't nobody's fool. This song really established a tone. Yeah. Like, yes, she was beautiful. Yes, she was sweet. But she was not to be messed with. I love it. Like, because she's calling attention to what she knows everyone's thinking. She's not going to, like, pretend like that's not the truth of things. This song caught the ear of Porter Wagoner, who at that time had the number one syndicated country show in the nation. He was looking for a new singer, and he contacted Parton. The pay was $60,000 a year. She said yes. That feels like a lot for back then. Like, I wonder how much Wagoner was making. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, it's sadly right now for me, it seems like a lot. <laughs> But I mean, it, it feels like a lot to be like on a TV show in the 1960s for a woman. It does seem surprising. Yes. Yeah. Well, good for her. Yeah. Well, her start on the show was a little bit rough, though. Uh, the audience loved the woman who was there before Norma Jean. Uh, Dolly wasn't Norma Jean and the audience didn't really respond well to it. Her first few performances were not well received. She was booed repeatedly. Parton was the polar opposite of Norma Jean. Norma Jean had a style and demeanor that was much more conservative and also had a deeper and lower voice. So there's the visual look and then the sound are just very different. Mm -hmm. So I don't like things that are different. Ah, no. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> Parton's voice was high and animated. She was flashy, right? By this point in her life, she had established her look, and she was going to stick with it. So, like, let's talk about her look for a second. So, Dolly has said on many occasions that she took her look from the town trollop or tramp. So, in an interview with CBS Mornings, Dolly told Gail King, they used to always say that, you know, less is more. And I was throwing that away. I said, no, less is less. More is more. And more is good for me. I patterned my look after the town tramp, and that's the truth. She wore makeup, red nails, red high heels, tight clothes. I just thought she was the prettiest thing I'd ever seen. And people would say things like, she ain't nothing but trash. But in my mind, I thought that's what I was going to be when I grow up. Trash. <laughs> <laughs> she says this all like super anime. Like she's such a good like person to interview. It's, it's like she's really... She loves talking. You can tell. So like, and she likes what she we got likes. a lot of quotes coming. Yeah, you yeah. know, she's just really great. She just fully embraces who she wants to be, and it's mm -hmm. not about society's expectations for her in that regard. Yes, but on the Porter Wagoner show, people were still calling for Norma Jean. Right? They they just didn't like Parton. The first time Parton and Wagoner went on the road, she got booed. 
Porter got the idea to start doing duets with her in an effort to win over the audience. Because, you know, they weren't going to boo him. That was his show. And he's a man. I added yeah. that bit. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there's like a, a weird thing with like booing people. So there's this one, that like, especially like opening acts, like the person that you're coming to see, the like final act, if you will, has chosen their opening act. So like to boo them is super weird. So there was this one time I went to go see Panic at the Disco and there was this band that opened for them called Dresden Dolls. And I'd known about Dresden Dolls. I used to be like a Hot Topic kid. Shocker. Um, and while like hanging out at Hot Topic, there was a guy who told us about the Dresden Dolls. And it was me and my friend that went. And we knew like two Dresden Doll songs. And we're like, okay, cool. They're opening. This should be fun. The whole crowd spent most of the opening acts, like performance time, booing them like aggressively. And we're just like, whoa, this is so like, why are they like, like, why is everybody being like this? So when they played the song that we knew, we screamed it at the top of our lungs. And like, you could tell like the Dresden Dolls is like two people. And like, they could see us because we were like in the pit, like towards the front. So like, they could see us from where they were. And I swear, like, not to, like, toot our own horns, but, like, we changed, like, the wave in this room. Like, it was like, oh, wait, people know them? They're not just, like, a random group of, like, But even if they are, freaks. just give them a chance. Like, and if you don't like exactly. it, just be... Just shut yeah. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just shut up and stand there. Like, be on your phone. Like, this was not that long ago. Where, like, you, you could have just been on your phone. You could have showed up late. You could have stood at the bar. You could have done anything. But these people decided to boo. Like the first 10 minutes was just straight booing. And when they played the song that we knew, we just screamed it. Because we're like, I'm so sorry you have to deal with this. But like, there are people who don't hate you in this room. And like the band got really excited and kind of just played to our side of the stage. And then people shut up. And there were probably like three more songs before they finished their performance. And people were just quiet for the next three songs. And I was like, oh my God, maybe they just got tired of booing. Maybe they were like, Let's be respectful to these people who are clearly enjoying it. Uh, too little, it. too late. I'm sorry. I know. I just like, I, I, it, it just nuts to me that somebody would, would boo. I've, I've seen it only one other time before. And I'm just like, it's weird. You could just sit down. Like, you could just not be a part of this. Like, why would you boo the opening act? The person you like picked them. Yeah. And I mean, unless they're, they're saying something actively offensive or harmful oh, of, course, of others, yeah. like what? Just let it be. Well, the the duets worked here in this case, and Dolly became beloved, and the pair they started making amazing music together. She signed a five year contract, but actually stayed on the show for seven years. The show was a huge hit, and Dolly helped bring a wider, younger audience to uh, Wagoner's show. So Porter and Parton were known to butt heads. They were both stubborn, but Parton was looking for more. Porter was the boss, and staying on the show meant that she would always simply be a girl singer. The tension between the two took a toll, and Dolly put in her notice in 1974 and wrote Porter a goodbye song. The song was called I Will Always Love You. This was her parting gift to Porter. When he heard it, he cried, and he told her that it was the prettiest song they had ever heard, and that she could go, providing that he got to produce the song, which he did, and she left with his blessing. Or did she? Yeah, well, about five years later, Porter reached out in the form of a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. He sued Parton for $3 million. He claimed she owed him money for breach of management contract and for other results from their separation. Now, I want to remind everyone that she signed a five-year contract and stayed for seven yep. years. Exactly. So, what? Yeah. Exactly. Like, if anything, you should be paying her overtime or whatever, because, <laughs> like, she stayed for longer than she, like, planned to. Mm-hmm. Porter argued that he'd given Dolly two cars, rings, and diamond necklaces. Okay, those are gifts. That doesn't count. Sorry. I'm just like, I I feel like I'm not a lawyer, but like, mm, 
I am right now. <laughs> he also was seeking 15% of her net income from June 1974 through June 1979. So the five years after she left. 15% of her outstanding record royalties and 15% of future record royalties. Parton and Porter settled out of court with Dolly reportedly giving her old boss $1 million. Well, we'll come back to this, but my mind is like blown by the sheer audacity <laughs> that you would ask someone for 15% of their future royalties. Like, I mean, he'd be a very rich I man. I made her who he she was, that. right? That's, yeah. That's the nonsense. Mm. So she paid her million dollars over time because at that time she didn't have it. So she paid it over time and none of this stopped her. So her next big album was The Coat of Many Colors. This album was nominated for Album of the Year at the 1972 CMA Awards. It's Country Music Association Awards. The songs on this record drew directly from her childhood. The title track in particular tells the story of how Dolly's mother stitched together a coat for her daughter made out of rags that were given to the family. As she sewed, she told her children the biblical story of Joseph and his coat of many colors. Parton was excited about the coat, but when she went to school, her classmates teased her for being poor and wearing other people's trash. Kids are terrible. Yeah, the worst. Kids are terrible. Like, I remember, like, kids making fun of, like, poor kids at my school, and it was just like, I don't know if I've always just been, like, a 50-year-old woman in, like, a, a body forever, but I remember being like, not that kid's fault that they're poor, like, Right? Why? why? And even if they were like, they're not evil, they're poor. Like, why would you be mean to a poor kid? Like, that just seems dumb. That There's so many reasons to hate somebody for. And like, being poor is like, not one of them. This is stupid. As I sat and like, read my Fear Street book, ignoring the other children. (laughs) (laughs) Capitalism, baby. Yeah. Ugh. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, it's ingrained in you so much that you're like, oh, you don't, you can't afford the Tims that all of us are wearing. You must be poor. So for nobody likes you. Like, Oh, God. Yeah. We just have to do like a whole episode on capitalism. I don't even know what it would be about. It would just be about us ranting about capitalism. <laughs> I think that's every episode. There's no redemption. <laughs> Fair. Fair. So back to Dolly and her beautiful song. So the song goes, and oh, I could not understand it, for I felt I was rich. And I told them of the love my mom, my mama sewed in every stitch. But they didn't understand it, and I tried to make them see one is only poor only if they choose to be. Now, I know we had no money, but I was rich as I could be in my coat of many colors my mama made for me. One solitary tear yeah. on the side of my face. Yep. Yep. That song is definitely a tearjerker. Parton was really proud of this work. She told Vanity Fair that it was a really wonderful compliment to her because it was about such a personal subject matter. So in 1976, Parton took her act to TV with her own syndicated variety show simply called Dolly. She was looking to expand her horizons and learn more about the music industry and show business. The show only ran for one season, but the range of guests was huge. A variety of celebrities appeared on it, including Emmylou Harris, the Hughes Corporation. Uh, They sing the song Rock the Boat. Rock the boat, don't rock the boat, baby. Rock the boat, don't tip the boat over. Rock the boat. (laughs) There we go. If you didn't know, now you know. (laughs) Now you know. Uh, Captain Kangaroo. Anne Murray, Kenny Rogers, Linda Ronstadt, Casey and the Sunshine Band, and many more. So our younger listeners, like if you're, I mean, I had to Google some of these people, so <laughs> maybe. Um, 
if, if you're like under 35, you might need to Google some of these folks. But they were very big names at the time. Yeah, I think, honestly, I only know most of these names like through my mom. So it, right? maybe yeah. if you're under like 50, you might have to Google them. <laughs> the show helped Dolly to network bigger opportunities and learn the ropes. She wasn't just looking to be the face of a TV show. Parton had a hand in the day-to-day activities. So Dolly spoke at that time saying it was a lot of hard work. Anytime you do a weekly show like that, you got to kind of work all week to get it done. But I met so many people. I've learned so many things that I've applied to so many other projects later on down the line because I've learned about being a businesswoman, learned about being involved in production, learned about how you have to kind of stand up for yourself, not only yourself, but for other people around you. I love that. Mm-hmm. I, she's got a lot of great words here like you said that we have a whole bunch of quotes from her but they're all that amazing yeah. like why not just share her words right <laughs> she's very like prolific with her quotes i think she's like prolific with like interviews like we'll get to it but like I don't know, she'll talk to anybody like and i love it because you get like straight from the horse's mouth like there's no hmm did she say this no she said it and here's a quote mm-hmm. she said it many times well by the 1980s parton started to branch out into film and pop music As more mainstream artists started to cover her songs, she started to rise in popularity outside of the country world. She also got a new manager, Sandy Gallen. He would serve as her personal manager for the next 25 years. The two worked on her album, New Harvest's First Gathering. It was her first self-produced album, and it made its way up the pop charts with the song, Here You Come Again. Parton was slightly more reluctant about the world of film. Her first film was 9 to 5, which was released in 1980. She says, 9 to 5 was really a joy for me, and it was like something I was not expecting. I had been offered movie roles at different times. I had not been interested in doing the movies, because at that time, with my writing career and my entertainment, I was traveling, touring, I was doing really well with that. And so I didn't want to kind of get sidetracked just then. But when Jane Fonda came to me and presented this idea to me, I thought, well, how can I not do this? So Dolly struck up a deal with Fonda, who was her co-star and the producer of the movie. Parton wanted to write and produce the theme song. Deal. Done. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Jane Fonda wasn't going to fuck with that. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, no, we, we're going to get Casey and the Sunshine Band to do it. Like, don't worry about it, Dolly. Like, no. Like, Dolly wants to write this song. Dolly's writing this song. So, one day on the set, she was tapping her nails together and she got this tune. The lyrics came from watching everyone work on set. And when the song was ready to record, she gathered all the women at the set and had them record background vocals. And she also played her nails on the original track. So uh, we should maybe link it. Like there's a, a YouTube where she like does it. And like I have acrylic nails, so you can kind of like, ooh, let's see if you can. It's like. All right. I can't do it the way that she can. Like she like you can instantly hear the like opening tune. And I don't know how she does that. I don't know if your nails have to be a little bit longer, but like. But I I was sitting here like trying to do it and I was like and then there's another really great clip of her and Patty LaBelle playing their acrylic nails on like something like a Johnny Carson show or something just like randomly and it's like who thought to play their nails Dolly love it Dolly like insane the song was a huge success but so was the film right Parton became one of the few female country singers to have a number one single on the country and pop charts simultaneously. It also received a nomination for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. She made a name for herself and also some lifelong friends. So I'm going to pause for a second because I don't know if people know. The song we're talking about is 9 to 5. Uh, yeah. Like you should know. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but also, but yeah, it's true. We didn't say, but like also. We didn't say it. I feel like you should know. I don't know. If you don't know, well, now you know. Um, I also need to Google and see what won that year. 
you know who won? Fame from fame. Mm, okay. Fair, right? You know who else was nominated? On the Road Again by Willie Nelson. <laughs> so this was like, I think, kind of tight. The other two songs I don't know at all. But I'm just like, mm, yeah, it had what some... What were the uh, other two? Um, So it's... So I'll just read the whole thing. So it's 9 to 5, Dolly Parton, On the Road Again, Willie Nelson, Out Here on My Own, Fame, and then Fame from Fame. People Alone from the Competition... And the lyrics are by Willing Will Jennings. Okay, yeah, I'm not sure I know I that one know. either. But Mm-mm. so, like, two songs from Fame and Fame, I'm gonna live forever. Yes, yeah, one. Uh, yeah, fair. that's fair. But like, what a year, man! That's tight. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a very, very tight competition. Because even on the road again is fucking fantastic. Fair. Okay, I see you, Fame. <laughs> At least it wasn't something, like, really dumb and cheesy, so. Sorry that they lost, but that was really good. In late 1981, Parton began filming her second film, the musical The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, for which she earned her second nomination for a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress. She didn't win, but it established her as more than a one-hit wonder. Yeah, that's key, right? While writing, recording, touring, and acting, Parton also opened up a theme park, like you do. Mm-hmm. On May 3rd, 1986, a theme park called Silver Dollar City, Tennessee reopened as Dollywood. Parton mentioned that when she first started to earn money, she wanted to go back home and do something for her people. So Dollywood gives back to the community in many ways that we'll talk about later. But helping the community was Dolly's sole goal for the park. She didn't leave her hometown because she hated it. She left for a better opportunity to help herself and her family. Speaking of family, in 1989, Parton joined the family-like cast of Steel Magnolias. It was a very popular and won People's Choice Award for Favorite Movie in 1990. The film starred Dolly Parton, Julia Roberts, Sally Field, and Shirley MacLaine. It was directed by a man named Herbert Ross, who didn't want Parton for the role and wasn't very kind to her about that. So in her book, Dolly, My Life and Other Unfinished Business, Dolly speaks of the time when the director told her that she couldn't act and shouldn't be there. Dolly responded by saying, that's your job. Parton told Ross about her acting skills. You're the director and you're supposed to help me with my acting. You hired me because you thought I was going to make you a lot of money. Now earn it. <laughs> I, lo- I kind of would love to see this. Like I just picture like a long <laughs> acrylic nail jabbing in this dude's face. And then, like, a, a dramatic, like, stomp away. But she's not wrong. I, I love it. She's not she, wrong, no. Like, you can't just be like, you suck. I'm here now. I'm part of your film. You don't want me to suck? Let's work out how I can't suck. Like, you can't just, you know, like, she's absolutely right. In true Dolly fashion, by the time the film wrapped, all was forgiven and the two were friends. By the late 80s, Parton was very used to being on camera. She hosted another short-lived variety show um, and made television appearances over the years on shows like The Beverly Hillbillies, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Magic School Bus, Designing Women, Reba, The Simpsons, and she was even on a show called Babes, which was produced by Sand Dollar Productions. Oh yeah, did, did we mention um, Dolly Parton and her manager, Sandy Gallen, they started a production company. So this production company also produced Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the spinoff Angel. And I am very obsessed with both, mostly Buffy. So thank you for that, Dolly, because that was my childhood. (laughs) Really. Thank you so much. She's impacted us all. 
Right? Really? So in recent years, she starred on the big screen with Queen Latifah and Kiki Palmer in Joyful Noise. In November 2020, she produced and starred in a Netflix musical film called Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. For this, she won a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Television Movie. Most recently, she rang in the new year with her goddaughter Miley Cyrus while co-hosting Miley's New Year's Eve party. The two sang their hits like Wrecking Ball, Jolene, Party in the USA. It's on YouTube. It, it's pretty great. You should go check it out. When not acting or partying with the cool kids, she runs a non-for-profit called Dollywood Foundation. The aim of the foundation is to grant scholarships and awards and provide support to other non-profit organizations that aim to improve the quality of life for children and others in need. While she hasn't slowed down from writing and recording, she is taking a step back from touring. In an interview, Parton shared, I do not think I'll ever tour again, but I do know I'll do special shows here and there, now and then. Maybe do a long weekend of shows or just a few shows at a festival. But I have no intention of going on a full-blown tour anymore. She explained that as she and her husband get older, they would prefer to stay close to home. She's always put her family first, but hasn't forgotten about her fans. She recently joined TikTok, so she's just a follow away if you need a little dolly boost. So let's look a little bit into Dolly's motivations, like beyond her big reputation, like the truth, the meat of the matter, if you will. Dolly started out in the country music world, which was and possibly still is an extremely patriarchal industry. There were women in the industry, but men ran it. At 19, she could have easily been scared off or gotten herself manipulated by those in power. But Parton stood up for herself right out of the gate. But that isn't to say that men didn't have, you know, all the audacity to try her anyway. Yeah. Uh, we spoke about her business partner, Porter Wagoner. He alleged that he was entitled to a percentage of her earnings because of the time he spent working with her. He alleged that the songs that she created while touring with him actually belonged to him. Dolly was the most popular thing to happen to his show, and losing her hurt his pride and his wallet. Another man looking to make profit off of her hard work was Elvis. According to Far Out Magazine, in the latter days of Elvis's career, he became one of Parton's devoted fans and even expressed wishes to cover her 1974 hit, I Will Always Love You. Initially, Parton was ecstatic and had even arranged to join Elvis in the studio. She says, So I was so excited I told everybody. They had told me that Elvis was recording it and asked if I wanted to come to the studio. Elvis wanted to meet me and all that. Before they arranged... To meet for the session, though, the label informed Parton that Elvis would want half of the publishing deal. She had to pass on the deal, if only to maintain artistic integrity. Dolly says, that was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do because I loved Elvis. And it wasn't about him. It was about the song. It was only when he asked for half of the portion on a song that was my most important copyright at the time. And I said, I can't give you that. She added, it was just me protecting my things. Yeah, good for her. Right? Because right. a music copyright gives you the right to make and sell copies, distribute those copies, make new works, publicly perform the work. Meaning, in this case, she would have to give half of everything she earned off the song to Elvis. It seems like she made the right choice, as Whitney Houston's cover of the song made her about $10 million, and that number is growing every yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I don't know the details of that contract, but I'm assuming she retained all her rights to that song. Yeah. Um, and Whitney probably gets the performance royalties, mm -hmm. but not the publishing royalties. I'm getting a thumbs yeah. up from the from the music guy across <laughs> the room. <laughs> nice. Fact check by music guy. I like Fact it. Fact check. Dolly Parton has always been really open about her struggles with body image and her use of plastic surgery to obtain the image that she wants. She's also spent a lot of her career having to explain this to others. 
In an overly judgmental interview with Barbara Walters in 1977, Barbara questions Parton about looking like a joke and asking her if her boobs are real and then letting her know that she's better than how she looks and that she doesn't need to look like this. Yeah, this all comes off as very like East Coast elitist nonsense, right? Asking some hillbilly why she needs to paint herself up to feel important. I mean, gross. Yeah. Right? I mean, even just the reference rough. to Dolly in that term is mm-hmm. like, mm, it's cringe. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Parton kindly and straightforwardly let Barbara know that this look is a choice and she actively chose not to look like everyone else. And also like, Barbara, like, I love Barbara Walters, right? She had to deal with a lot of shit. Did you, did we post that on the Instagram or Twitter? Was that, maybe I posted what? it on Twitter. It was something from her like first night on the news and the male, no, her male co-anchor was like, well, I could say, you know, you blah, 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 because you're a woman this and because you should do that. Mm. And then he's like, but I'm going to treat you like anyone else and say you went four minutes over your time and I'm taking that back next news session. So you're like, she had to right. deal with a lot of shit herself. And, Fair. and but, but, but why is she turning yeah. it around on other women? This is what I'm, I'm so- bothered by. In my mind, I added her to our list because I was like, I wonder if so there's been like when she died, there was like a compilation of like times where she was like rough with people and like to be like, oh, Barbara Walter takes no shit. But like some things like she asked Chris Christie why he was so fat. And I'm just like, I don't like Chris Christie was the former governor of New Jersey and he has his problems. But I don't think it's cool just to ask somebody why they're fat. Like that's (laughs) no. Um but I was just like, wow, I wonder if she felt pressure to ask these questions to make her interviews more provocative. And I was like, okay, I've mentally put her on my list because, like, I want to learn more about her to see, like, what was behind it. Because, like, could she be sweet and ask questions or did she have to be a little And the thing conniving? is, would people have had the same responses if a man asked these same exact questions, right? Hmm. Like, it, yeah. So there's I, – I, I agree. Let's put her on the list. I'm interested, Barbara Walters. So this interview with Barbara Walters made me think of Pamela Anderson. So we covered her on the show. I don't remember what number Pamela Anderson is, but you should listen to it if you haven't listened to it already. But she, in an interview, once spoke about like how her looks opened doors for her, like her boobs, her blonde hair. It made people think, oh, this is a dumb person and to not expect anything from her until she opened her mouth and said something profound. And then those people were shocked. And then they were more likely to listen to what she had to say. Uh So I think that, you know, her and Dolly kind of had the same wave with this. It's like, I'll get in there with my looks, but like I keep the door open because like I'm a fucking genius and you should listen to me. Episode 12. Episode 12. There you go. Pamela Anderson is episode 12, everyone. Well, go listen to that after this one, if you haven't already. Well, in the interview with Barbara Walters, Dolly states, I am sure of myself as a person. I am sure of my talent. And I'm sure of my love for life and that sort of thing. I'm very content. I like the kind of person that I am. So I can afford to piddle around and doodle around with makeup and clothes and stuff because I'm secure with myself. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, she's so secure. I love it. She's so secure in herself and what she can do that if you can't get past the looks, then you don't deserve the smart, talented, and kind woman behind the wig. Love it. Does she wear a wig? Oh, my God, yes. Okay. (laughs) So I didn't think she wore a wig. And then it was like, Dolly is rarely seen without her wigs. And I was like, that's a wig. And then there's a really funny quote where someone was like, how long does it take for you to do your hair? 
And she's like, well, I don't know. I'm never there. And it was just like, Dolly, <laughs> Dolly, that's so fun. Like, she's so funny and she's so open and honest about this stuff. And she's like, yeah, like my hair is a wig. And like, I don't know how long it takes to do it because I'm not there. Someone does this. <laughs> and then they put it on my head. Like, amazing. Love it. And then I looked back at like old, um, there's a documentary on Netflix and it's got like really old footage. And I'm like, oh, that's clearly a wig. Cause it's like a mile high bouffant. Like, it's huge. And I was like, yeah, you, that's not real hair. Yeah. Like, you couldn't have done that. <laughs> so, yeah, like, back in the day, she used to wear a lot bigger wigs, and now they seem to be smaller, but they're still... They're still dolly. Wigs. Apparently, she's... Yeah, apparently, she's unrecognizable without... Like, you would never know who she was without the wigs and makeup. That's awesome. Which is pr- probably how her and her husband can just, like, do diddle around. Parton shows that Southerners are multidimensional, and there's more than one way to be a proud Southern woman. She also shows us that there's more than one way to be a feminist. So the whole idea of like a Southern Belle has certainly changed and Dolly had a lot to do with it. The Southern Belle typically sparks visions of like an upper class rich girl from the Deep South. Think like a fluffy embellished dress, a little dainty parasol to protect her fair skin from the sun. Gone with the wind kind of thing. Yes, very gone with the wind. Mm -hmm. Yes. So she's prone to fainting or being shocked by any misstep of manners. She's witty and she's charming, but she never oversteps the boundaries of her station or especially her gender. She's always ladylike. Her goal in life is to be beautiful and charming, just charming enough to get a man and get married. Then she becomes the pillar of her family's virtue while remaining submissive to her husband and having many, many, many children. Whew. Fun. For some. <laughs> While Dolly was growing up, her family couldn't have provided this world, right? They were poor and everyone had a job to do. She had to be assertive, even if it wasn't ladylike. By the time she got to Nashville, she knew that her looks would open doors. But her talent and, I mean, for lack of a better word, I guess, aggressiveness. I feel hesitant to use those words with women because I feel like it's used negatively, but... See, it is, but it's not with a man. So I think that we should use it for women, too. All right. All right. Because when I think aggressive, I think, like, this person's going to get shit done. Okay. It's a gender-neutral term, baby. All right. Uh, all right. I'll support it. <laughs> uh, well, you know, these these qualities would get her a seat at the table. So during the 1960s, the women movement was challenging what a feminist was. And for some, it meant going to work, establishing a career that would delay motherhood. But for those who grew up with the Southern Belle trope... That world seemed foreign and really unwelcoming to their views of womanhood. Well, Parton repackaged what feminism looks like to country music fans during this time as well. You could be sweet, soft, and kind, but also make the rules. Yeah, as we mentioned before, the world of country music was and is in many ways a man's world. The men wrote and performed, and the women who helped them provided a bit of sweetness. When Dolly was hired to work on the Porter Wagoner show, she was hired to play the role of girl singer girl singer not woman that was it not no no name just girl singer girl singer she outgrew that mold by writing more and more songs all of a sudden dolly was equal to porter it was their show parton could be viewed as the more palatable version of a feminist to country music fans she was by no means burning her bra and marching in the streets but she was fighting against gender stereotypes and performative behaviors Parton went from girl singer to having her own show in less than a decade. By the late 1970s, Parton began using her image as a form of agency to assert herself on her own terms. She was well aware that her body matched society's idea of a sex symbol, gaining her an even bigger audience. That audience was drawn in by her beauty, but they stayed for her talent. 
the whole time being shown that a woman could make a name for herself in a male-dominated industry and still never lose her sweetness. The girl singer turned boss woman showed that that being successful wasn't just for the men or for a bossy smug woman in pantsuits. You could be feisty, down to earth, and still invoke change. Parton has never shied away from talking about her looks either. She's been very candid about undergoing plastic surgery. In an interview for The Oprah Winfrey Show in 2003, Winfrey asked about the cosmetic surgery Parton had undergone. Parton replied that cosmetic surgery was imperative in keeping up with her famous image. So Parton has jokingly said... It takes a lot of money to look this cheap. When Oprah asked about future plastic surgeries, Parton said, I wish I could do a Southern accent because she does it so well. It's, it's, it's going to be subpar for me. But she says, if I see something sagging, bagging, or dragging, I'll get it nipped, tucked, or sucked. <laughs> Parton again expands our vision of what a feminist is by leaning in on her looks, saying, I created my own look to build my confidence because very few people are born beautiful with natural beauty, and I certainly am not one. She added, I did whatever I needed to build my confidence. I do it because it makes me feel better about myself. What is she telling us? Women wearing makeup or having plastic surgery does not make anyone a less effective or less serious feminist. Choosing not to do those things does not make anyone a superior feminist. Feminism is about dismantling patriarchal systems of oppression. You get to choose your weapon. Honestly, that is so true and so important. And like this whole idea of like, feminists pitting themselves against one another is yeah it, it's feeding into that patriarchal problem that already exists it is it is and like it still happens like it was happening then and it still happens like there's more than one way to be a feminist and i feel like that people don't see like if you don't see yourself being represented in the feminist movement you're like well that's not for me you know yeah but it takes all kinds it does, yeah. Dolly's weapon is her talent and her looks. Despite being consistently underestimated and undervalued in her early music career, Parton refused to let men in power stop her from doing things her way, which is such an empowering thing for other women to see. Dolly's marriage and family is an unconventional feminist choice as well. She and her husband, Carl Dean, have been married for 57 years. Woo-woo. Holy crap. 57. It's awesome. Could you, I don't can't even imagine knowing somebody that long. So over those years, Dolly has had to account for his absence because people ask, because people have said that he isn't even real, which is very funny. Oh, my goodness. Just to be like, oh, I don't see your husband. must not be real. 57 years of faking marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the truth, Carl's a really private person who wants to be entirely out of the spotlight. And she clearly respects that, right? Like being respectful of his wishes is probably what's helped them make it to 57 years of marriage. Right? When asked about this, Dolly says, our joke about the fact when people ask me why it's lasted this long, I say, because I stay gone. And there's a lot of truth in that. The fact that we're not in each other's faces all the time, but we do have a great respect and admiration for each other. We both have a great sense of humor. So we have a lot of fun. And like, honestly, I wholeheartedly agree with this approach. Like it Mm -hmm. worked for my grandparents. They were married for like, 60 something years or whatever wow and and they spent time apart and and i think it's worked for me and sean so far like even just keeping kind of opposite hours or like traveling individually just for short periods of time you come back and you're like yay i haven't seen you i'm excited to see you again it keeps it fresh so while looking for info on her husband i wandered down to the comments section um on this one article and found this gem of a comment. Oh, so, gosh. <laughs> um, this comes from Divorced Dad in Los Angeles. Oh, lovely. I can't wait to hear his opinion. 
With enormous talent, demanding performance schedules, her vast business empire, and her stringently high maintenance appearance, I cannot imagine how Dolly has anything left over to be a wife. Can you picture Dolly catering to the needs, the moods, and the desires of her husband? I cannot. Well, guess what? You're not her husband, and you're divorced dad for some other reason that, like... Exactly. Shocker. Someone divorced you. Catering to the needs, moods, and desires of her husband? Sir... So, wait, like, you wrote this on your computer into daytime. <laughs> you didn't write this in, like, the 20s. Well, my wife didn't. Maybe he divorced his wife because she didn't cater to the desires to him as a husband. Ugh. Yeah. What, like, darn his socks and, like, suck his dick whenever possible. At the same time. This guy sucks. <laughs> At the same time. That's a quality wife. That is, what What do the guys call it? A high-value woman? Oh, gross. <laughs> Oh, God, this guy's disgusting. I love that his name is Divorced Dad. <laughs> well, not Divorced Dad, but Dolly and Carl. Their marriage shows that there is more than one way to be a happily married couple. They also don't have any children either, right? Further shrugging the traditional Southern Belle gender rules. When asked about this very private topic, because, you know, people always are intrusive. <clears throat> so I'm going to interject for a second because I wrote that. And then I was like, wait, who asked? It was Oprah who also doesn't have any kids and is kind of on the same wave as Dolly. So you think she was just looking for solidarity? Yes. Okay. I think that she was like, listen, we need to let people know that it's okay not gotcha. to have kids. Okay, so, like, so the question is more them. framed under the like, let's, let's make this something that people can acknowledge. Yes, okay. I think okay. so. Because it was Oprah. Like if it was Barbara, well, I don't know if Barbara has kids, but like when I saw that it was Oprah, I was like, oh, okay. That question makes sense from Oprah. Well, Dolly gives such a beautiful answer to this this question anyway. She says, I didn't have children because I believe that God didn't mean for me to have kids. So everybody's kids could be mine. So I could do things like Imagination Library, because if I hadn't had the freedom to work, I wouldn't have done all the things I've done. I wouldn't be in a position to do all of the things I'm doing now. So when I tell you that first line, God didn't mean that I could have kids so that everybody's kids could be mine, even right now. There is a tear coming up. Like, that is such a sweet way to, like, look at it. And it's not like she was like, ugh, I don't have kids. I'm going to go do whatever I want over here. Like, she's like, I'm going to, like, help other people's kids. Yeah. That's, like, so beautiful. And I think, like, if you had, if you only heard one thing from Dolly Parton ever, I think that that would be the most perfect quote from her. Like, she said a bunch of, like, very wonderful, profound things. But this, like, for me, get this gets to her core of a person. Like, She's here to help people. Yeah. And I just think that it's so sweet and so beautiful. And I think I'm a fangirl for Dolly Parton now. Who's, who knew? Who, who knew that was coming? <laughs> Dolly and her husband have helped raise several of Parton's younger siblings in Nashville, leading her nieces and nephews to refer to them as Uncle Peepaw and Aunt Granny. I want to be Aunt Granny someday. Aunt Granny. <laughs> like, so, Parton is also super, she's a super active godmother to singer, songwriter, actress Miley Cyrus. So Parton gets to be like as maternal as she wants to be. And I do think that from what I've seen from like my friends, people who come from big families or like the head, like the oldest child in a big family, don't super want the responsibility of like a child. Yeah, you're raising your hand. (laughs) I see you. Yeah. And I've spoken to another friend of ours who's like the oldest and it's like, there's like four underneath her and it's like yeah no I've, I've raised children already like i'm good or people who've had to take care of someone else for a big part of their life they're like yeah like no i'm i'm good i've raised i've raised or i've been maternal like mm-hmm. you know yeah 
so yeah i think that that's super interesting like for dolly like what we say she was four out of 12 like she's she's raised she's good <laughs> kids yeah so like there's many ways to be a mother a wife a performer and a woman and like dolly shows us that it's up to us to choose when we talk about dolly parton you know i think one of the biggest impacts that i see in her is this sort of recognition of the forgiveness and kindness way of living her Mm -hmm. life, right? She's known for being a super positive person. And a lot of that comes from never holding on to the negative. So let's talk about that Porter lawsuit one more time. After everything was settled and Dolly had paid about a million dollars to him, uh, which was well asked, well less than what he had asked for, right? Which was 3 million. Mm -hmm. Yep. um, He fell on hard times. So in 1981, he was dropped from his label. Dolly bought his label and gave it back to him, ensuring a future for his kids and his legacy. In 1988, they performed together for an episode of her variety show. And in October 2007, when he died, she was at his bedside holding his hand. Now, Dolly had every reason not to forgive him for, Mm -hmm. you know, he wanted to keep her under his thumb, take her money. Like, who would blame her if she was still mad today? But she wasn't like that, right? She forgave him. She once said in an interview, forgiveness is the only thing. You have to forgive and forget. She said, he gave me a great opportunity and I still appreciate him. Later on, we got back together and he said that he was sorry. He was sorry about all of that. So I forgave him and I asked him to forgive me. Parton's kindness extends to those she's never even met as well. She's noted as one of the most philanthropic celebrities of all time. So we spoke a little bit about the Dollywood Foundation, but an extension of that is the Imagination Library. It's a book-giving program that mails free, high-quality books to children from birth to the age of five, no matter their family's income. As of 2022, they have given away over 176 million books. And in an effort to boost graduation rates in her own hometown and improve college attendance, Dolly gave every student in her district a scholarship when they reached graduation. Dollywood also runs the Eagle Mountain Sanctuary in collaboration with the American Eagle Foundation. Dolly provides 30,000 square foot aviary houses for the country's largest collection of non-releasable bald eagles. You should definitely take Sean there. should. Oh my gosh, he would be in heaven. He'd be like, bald eagles galore. He would name them all and try to free them and (laughs) kidnap them to our house. No, no, he wouldn't okay, free them. Mind. He wouldn't free them because no. they can't live out on their own. But he would like... They can't. He, yeah, he would take all the pictures. I would never get him out of there. He would be like... <laughs> <laughs> we'd, we'd leave like three hours later with about 8,000 photos of bald eagles on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, Parton has also raised and donated money to natural disaster causes like the wildfires that ripped through the Great Smoky Mountains in 2016 and Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Dollywood, her theme park, has approximately 4,000 people on its payroll, making it the largest employer in the community. According to Indeed.com, the average Dollywood hourly pay ranges from approximately $8 per hour for a hostess or a cashier to $21.80 per hour for a front desk receptionist. The minimum wage in the state of Tennessee is $7.25 per hour as of 2023, so she's paying slightly more. Yeah, it's it's very weird. Like, I know... So that's the federal minimum wage, seven twenty-five, mm-hmm. and so that's the lowest states can go, right? And so yeah. that's what Tennessee is doing, and she's going above it. But I, I also know like cost of living is going to be quite different than like say our cost True. of living. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> it's 
freaking so like seven dollars for a dozen eggs. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I love <laughs> eggs. This morning, this morning, you said you were going to the market. And remember the text message? So Rebecca texts me. She's like, I'm going to the market. But like when I'm done, we can record. So whenever she says she's going to the market, I think of Belle in Beauty and the Beast. So of course, because I'm like a Gemini who's like super focused on things, I now need to listen to the Beauty and the Beast soundtrack. And there's this line where there's like a woman in the background. She's like, I need fresh eggs. They're too expensive. And I just started cracking up <laughs> because we had a situation yesterday where we're like, we're going to buy eggs. And we're like, they're too expensive. And we're like, well, I guess we just like won't have eggs. I'm like... Yeah. It's just very funny that eggs are like so expensive. Right Ridiculous. Now. Uh, the provincial times. The, I went to the grocery store the other day and the average price, like when you divide the number of items or the, the total cost by the number of items you got, mm. it's $5 per item. Like I remember when I was growing up and yeah, sure, I'm 41 or whatever I am. <laughs> I don't even know how old I am. <laughs> Who even knows? But like, I remember my mom being like, oh, yeah, all you have to do when you want to know how much you're spending is take the number of items in your cart and multiply it by two. And that's how much it will cost. So, like, the average cost per item was $2. Oh. That was it. And now it's $5? Like, what? Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just raging about that kind of stuff. (laughs) I guess it also depends on where you shop, but... I mean, I don't know. I definitely left Trader Joe's spending the hundred bucks and got like two bags of things. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. None of them were eggs because <laughs> I couldn't bring it. Even the oat milk was really expensive. And I was like, I don't feel like oat milk didn't used to be this expensive. A box I was like, I of guess cereal, I like a box of Cheerios is $8. Like, what? no, it's not. It is at my grocery store. No, it is. Shit. My mom asked me because we don't even eat cereal anymore. But my mom's coming next week and she's like, can you buy me Cheerios? And I was like, OK, I'm going to spend eight dollars on these Cheerios that she's not going to finish. <laughs> well, get like Honey Nut Cheerios or Apple Cinnamon Cheerios and then I'll finish them for you. <laughs> no, I'm going to get that bag, the bag of like store brand generic oats. Yup. And I'm going to put it in. This is what I plan on doing with my future children. I'm going to put it in our own container and you'll never know that it's not actually Cheerios. My mom did that for me with Frosted Flakes for years. I had no clue until I had them. And I was like, oh, these taste better. These have more sugar on them. <laughs> anyway, I've become the parent. I'm going to trick my mom into eating some cheap Cheerios. <laughs> Going back to Dolly, you know, in, in the early stages of the coronavirus pandemic, Parton donated $1 million to help fund the Moderna vaccine. So double fuck Moderna for raising the price of their vaccine costs now or like proposing that they're going to they want to like quadruple the cost of the vaccine for like for the people for i mean to the insurance companies or does it not matter i don't know if it matters at this point yeah anyway um Hmm. she also took to social media to encourage people to get the shot and to you know wash their hands um and she did this by singing a modified rendition of jolene which kim will now uh recreate for us so it's vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. <laughs> vaccine, 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 vaccine. Because once you're dead, then it'll be too late. <laughs> uh, applause, applause, applause. Sean, add the applause in here. Sean, add the applause Thank in you. here. Okay. <laughs> Parton's efforts spread beyond the financial, right? She's a true ally. Dolly's been vocally supportive of the queer and trans communities since at least 1991. 
She spoke out in a CNN interview in support of marriage equality. Sure, why can't they get married? They should suffer like the rest of us do. <laughs> oh, Dolly. <laughs> Says the woman who's been married 57 years, but (laughs) Uh, the way Dolly answered with her everyday wit and humor, though, makes support for marriage equality sound like common sense, as if there should be no debate about it. And honestly, yeah, there shouldn't be. (laughs) There really shouldn't. It's like, oh, I don't want that person to get married to that person. Mind your whole business. Like, it has nothing to do with you. Oh, my God. That's if you want to talk about, like, the sanctity of marriage, then divorce should be illegal. Like, I don't understand it. Anyway. I digress because I could talk about that topic all day. In 2005, Dolly recorded Traveling Through for the film Transamerica, a road trip film about a trans woman's experience. Of course, she faced backlash. Her support makes certain people hmm, doubt her Christianity. To that, Dolly has said, but as far as the Christians, if people want to pass judgment, they're already sinning. The sin of judging is just as bad as any other sin they might say somebody else is committing. I try to love everybody. When Black Lives Matter gained mainstream traction in the summer of 2020, Barton vocalized her support for Black Lives. This is a super risky statement for someone who is part of a very, very conservative country music industry. Like, you can just Google Beyonce Country Music Award Backlash if you want some more insight on just how racist some some fans of country music can be it got it got real races in the comment section of things and like there are a lot of think pieces telling beyonce to you know just stay home and stay out of country folks business but she's from texas but okay again i digress <laughs> parton also renamed a civil war themed dinner attraction in her theme park in tennessee and missouri In 2018, she changed the name of the Dixie Stampede to the Stampede after she became aware that the term Dixie is negatively associated with the Confederacy. In an interview, Parton said, there's such a thing as innocent ignorance, and so many of us are guilty of that. When they said Dixie was an offensive word, I thought, well, I don't want to offend anybody. This is a business. We'll just call it the Stampede. As soon as you realize that something is a problem, you should fix it. Don't be a dumbass. That's where my heart is. I would never dream of hurting anybody on purpose. Don't be a dumbass. Again, Dolly. Amazing. Like, just like, oh, hey, sorry I offended you with that. Let me fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the dinner attraction, which is kind of like a medieval times or like a pirate's dinner adventure, but Civil War themed. Yikes. Um, it it made some changes to the show as well. Joan Stack, a curator of art collections at the State Historical Society in Missouri, noted the changes, saying, I was surprised by the radical changes I saw in the show. It still takes place in a building that resembles a southern plantation, but the plantation backdrop inside the arena has been replaced by rocky natural forms. All references to the Civil War have been removed. We don't hear Dixie, and there's no mention of generals on either side. The bathrooms that were once labeled with white signs that said Southerners only and a black sign that said Northerners only. Yikes, 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 yikes. Yeah, I'll share a picture because there's a picture of that. And I was just like, "Mm." well, they did change them and they are now cowboy themed. So like it kind of feels like maybe this place just like shouldn't exist. But that is my east coast liberal elitism talking like not everything is for us there are people in the south who might not share our views who love to go to a place that like is all about their culture and their heritage and okay fair fine it's not for me you know that's okay 
But I feel like the bar might be super low because the fact that any changes were made at all is shocking to me and makes me want to give Dolly a high five, right? I feel that if it was owned by anyone else, they would have just yelled, like, freedom of speech, fuck your feelings, or, like, shut down everything, costing people their jobs to be like, well, if you don't want us here, then we'll go. And, like, the liberals have destroyed this restaurant. But Dolly was just like, no, I'll fix it. And it's fixed. And now you can still go. And if you choose not to go because you made it too liberal, then you don't go. But if you choose to continue going because you've been going your whole life and you're like, I love the Stampede. They've got the best chicken. Now you can still go and not feel guilty for going. Because I feel like people must have felt kind of guilty, especially those bathrooms. Yeah, the bathrooms are yikes. Yeah. So I feel like you know better, you do better. This is this is really reaching for me because I would be like, just shut it down. But, you know, it's not for me. And it's a reason why it's in Tennessee and Missouri and not, you know, New Jersey or New York. <laughs> Yet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so... Dolly has no problem course correcting when she needs to. Back in 2011, a young woman visiting Dollyland Park was forced to turn her pro-marriage equality t-shirt inside out, apparently to avoid uh, stirring the pot amongst other visitors. Dolly responded very quickly to the incident, apologizing. In a statement, she said, I'm truly sorry for the hurt and embarrassment regarding the gay and lesbian t-shirt incident at Dollywood Splash Country recently. Everyone knows my personal support for the gay and lesbian community. Dollywood is a family park and all families are welcomed. I'm looking further into the incident and hope and believe that it was more policy than insensitivity. I'm very sorry that it happens at all. So Dolly didn't double down or try to bury the story. She stood up and acknowledged the wrongdoing and made changes. So let's talk a little bit more about her impact, like award wise, legacy wise. Dolly has been inducted into the Country Gospel Music Hall of Fame the Country Music Hall of Fame, the Grammy Hall of Fame, the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She's also received Kennedy Center's honors in 2006 and has broken three Guinness World Records. One, Parton has the most decades on Billboard's Hot Country song chart for a female at seven total. Two, she has the most number one hits on that same chart by a female artist with 25. And three, she broke her own record for having the most hits on the Hot Country Songs chart with a staggering 109. That's crazy. It's awesome. Like, it's crazy if even to have like 109 songs, right? Like, that's so many albums. I should have looked at how many albums she's released because I think there's got to be like more than like 15, 20 albums. But like, you had 109 hits? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, I mean... Dolly is super talented and she has all the awards to prove it. She also has won eight Grammys, four Billboard Awards, 10 Country Music Association Awards, seven Academy of the Country Music Awards, and three American Music Awards. Final thoughts, takeaways. What do you got for us? So what I got is like, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Because hmm. when I was younger, I definitely assumed that Dolly was just like some dumb blonde and like she sang country music and country music is stupid and like nobody cares. But I was wrong. I was totally wrong. Dolly's career and life has been so impressive. I love how open she is. Like she will literally talk to anyone. Like if you listen to this episode, it's filled with so many direct quotes. She's constantly doing interviews and spreading wisdom and she's like super down to earth, which says a lot about her. I think my only, like, sadness, if you will, is that she doesn't consider herself to be a feminist. Mm. Like, she did a podcast 
Um, and the host asked her what she thought about her being a feminist icon. And she said, no, I don't think of myself that way. I think of myself as a woman in business. I love men. I know. I think it's more about how feminism has been branded in America and less on Dolly. But that's like a whole topic for a different episode. Yeah. I just I hope that Dolly is aware that she is 100 percent a feminist icon in such a positive way. Like she's invoked so much change. And I definitely think that there's artists that would not be here if it weren't for them popping in like a Dolly Parton cassette tape back in mm-hmm. the day. So I think that she I hope she knows how important she is to women and just like music in general. I hope she knows. Yeah. I think my biggest takeaway here is like the value of being assertive, right? Women are often Mm -hmm. raised and trained to be submissive or to bend to the will of the patriarchy to kind of just sit back and be quiet and like accept the way things are. And Dolly didn't do this, right? Like, but at the same time, she was able to balance being assertive with being kind. Mm -hmm. and that's gotten her a long way right like people underestimated her her whole life and she refused to be silenced so let's talk a little bit about um our resources and references that you should pick up if you want to learn a little bit more about dolly dolly parton's unusual life defines everyone's expectations by shoni das dolly parton and southern womanhood race respectability and sexuality in the mid-century south by madeline bell The Parton Paradox, A History of Race and Gender in the Career of Dolly Parton by Lindsay L. Hammers. Dolly on Dolly, Interviews and Encounters with Dolly Parton, edited by Randy L. Schmidt. Dolly Parton, Song Teller, My Life in Lyrics by Dolly Parton. And Dolly Parton, Here I Am, which is a documentary you can find on Netflix. So let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Or do you have any suggestions for women we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at Big Rep Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Big Reputations Pod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Oh, wait. Are we on Amazon Podcasts now? I think so. I have to double check, but... Maybe Amazon Podcasts. Yeah, I did start the, the process anyway. Nice. Maybe there. You know, wherever you like. Your favorite. Or wherever else you get your podcast. Share us with your friends, your family, your 12 siblings. Damn. I only have 10. Fine. You can share it with your Aunt Grandma then. (laughs) Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And check out Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we've got a Patreon now, patreon.com slash bigreputationspod, or check out the link in our link tray. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you will get a shout out in our episodes. And if you choose the $5 level, you'll have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini episodes about amazing women throughout history. Next up, Lily Tomlin. Stick around after this episode where we'll share a teaser from that Little Rep episode. All right, Kim, what quote do you have for us this week? So I had one from Dolly Parton herself. If you don't like the road you're walking, start paving another one. Heck yeah. And as always, believe women. Lily says that back in the 1970s, people didn't write about it. They either didn't write about Jane at all, or they referred to her as her as Lily's collaborator. Which Let's start that again. I like that. Is that your husband? No, it's my collaborator. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think about all those scenarios where it's like, oh, it was their roommate. They were buddies. Like when they find like skeletons that were like in a house and, and like, you know, in ruins and they dig them up like. Yeah. They must have been best From like friends. ancient Greek things. Yeah. They were like, yeah, they were best buddies. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure. They were collaborators. Yeah. Collaborate. I love that. They're collaborators.